Well, welcome to Downtown Harbor Church. If it's your first time, my name is John. I'm the lead pastor here. On the way out, Adam goes to me, hey, I really warmed up the crowd, trying to screw it up, would you please? So thinking about Halloween and the fact that it's so hot down here, I was just thinking about when I grew up in New Jersey, one of the worst parts about Halloween was that when it was freezing and you had to put like a coat over your costume and like ruin the whole effect, not a problem down here. Anyway, so we are in this series called The More You Know, and we are getting close to wrapping it up. We have one more week of this. And if it's your first time here, the, the way we landed on this message was that many times in ministry, people will come up to us and say, hey, been a Christian for however, you know, length of time. Can you help me understand this particular aspect a little bit more? Or I've got a question about this thing that I don't really get. Can you help me learn a little bit more about that? And, and these are great questions, and you should be asking questions because it's my belief that at some point in your life, someone is going to ask you about your faith. And not just Christianity at large, they're going to say, what do you specifically believe about this topic? And the big question is, will you be prepared to answer them? I mean, will you be able to answer their questions in a way where they go, okay, that makes sense, I like that. And over the course of the last couple of weeks, we touched on a couple of topics, like we talked about, can you trust the Bible? Is it reliable? We talked about Satan, is he real? What is he like? All that kind of a thing. We talked about the prophecies of Jesus, the fact that all throughout the Old Testament, it talks about Jesus. So today, the question that I want to land on is something that I think we all at some level have wondered, and it's basically, what will heaven be like? This place that we're going to go to forever, we're going to spend eternity, what's it going to be like? I think if we're honest with ourselves, many times as Christians and as churches, we spend uh, a ton of time talking about how to get to heaven, but very little time talking about what it's going to be like when we're there. What are we going to encounter? Even for me, if I'm being honest with you, I, I didn't spend much time with it. I mean, I really spend more time researching restaurants that I'm going to go to, you know, when I'm on vacation, and not enough time with this place where God says, you're going to be forever. When we actually think about heaven, I think the only times that we really put some thought into it is when we're at a funeral. When someone has passed away and we're at the funeral home and we're at the church and, and we're thinking about where they are right now. And inevitably, we always read pretty much the same verse at every funeral service. And it's from John 14. And it's Jesus speaking. And he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Don't, don't let your heart be troubled, he says. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, now he's speaking of heaven. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. You know, when I hear this and I was at funeral services and I go, oh my gosh, it's going to be great. You know, when we die, Jesus is saying he's going to go ahead of us. He's getting your mansion ready. I'm already seeing what it's like. It's like a five-car garage, beauty pool, all this kind of stuff. And it's exciting to think that, you know, depending where you live now, we're all getting mansions. But if you had my experience, at some point in your life, probably one of your pastors said, well... It's not really a mansion. A proper translation of what Jesus actually said was that my father's house has many rooms. Okay, that's a big wet towel. Okay, I'm being honest with you. I heard that and I go, oh, really? I went from like a mansion, now I'm in a dorm room. That's not as nearly as exciting or as good. But I'm like, wait, 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 wait. Okay, hold on. Even if it is like a dorm room, we're talking about being with God forever. That's got to be incredible. But for so many of us, I think if we're just being honest with one, one another, our view of heaven is apathetic at best. Apathetic at best and negative at worst. 
We get to a place where we're saying, oh, I don't even want to think about heaven. I'm not interested. The idea of eternity makes me nervous. And when I get there, I'll figure it out, and I'm not going to worry about it till then. Some of us are straight up negative about it. We may say, well, it's better than hell, but mm, kind of boring. I don't think I, I don't think I, I want to go there. How do we get like that? I mean, if we say that we know Jesus, if we know how wonderful Almighty God is, why would anything be bad or boring or worthy of being negative or apathetic? Where does this come from? I think first it comes from the idea that many local churches for hundreds and hundreds of years now have not done a very good job of accurately portraying the realities of heaven. What it's going to be like. What are you going to see? What are you going to do? But what I learned this week, which is something I didn't know, is that Satan lies to us about heaven. Satan actively lies to us about heaven. Now, why wouldn't he? He got kicked out. He got kicked out of this place. And he is not happy that we are entitled to go to the home that he can no longer go to. And I've learned this through what John says in the book of Revelations. He says this. It opened its mouth. He's now talking about Satan. Satan opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place. Heaven is God's dwelling place and those who live in it. Satan lives to slander heaven. And his goal is not to convince us that it doesn't exist. His goal is to convince us that it's not going to be very good, that it's going to be boring, that you're not going to like it, okay? That it's going to be something like floating on clouds, playing a harp, that's whack, all right? Or one long, boring church service. Because, look, you pretty, I guarantee every single one of you thought one of these two things. This is what we think. And if Satan can get you to believe this, that it's going to be boring and you're just going to be singing songs for the rest of eternity, which sounds brutal, he's effectively done his job. He has sucked the joy of your salvation away. Because if he can get you to believe that heaven is boring, then you're not going to really share your faith. Why would you want to share Jesus with somebody when you're going to be sitting up on a cloud strumming a harp for eternity? That's not very exciting. Now, when I was a kid, one of my favorite movies of all time was Beetlejuice. I don't know if you've ever seen this movie. It's awesome. Fantastic. It's both funny and scary at the same time. And in this movie, briefly, just give you a quick description of it. You got Michael Keaton, who plays Beetlejuice, the guy in the middle. And on either side of him are Barbara and Adam. These are two people, Gina Davis and Alec Baldwin. Um, they recently die. They find themselves trapped in the house that they lived in, and they're ghosts, and they don't know what is going on at all. They don't know how to be a ghost. They don't understand anything at all. It turns out they're pretty bad ghosts, and this guy, Beetlejuice, is going to help them become better ghosts. Now, the way that he does it is through this book called The Handbook for the Recently Deceased. I don't know if you saw this movie. You remember this. Well, I got my hand on a copy of this book, Okay amazing what you can find on Amazon Prime. Two days to your door, everything you want to know about the afterworld. But in this book, this taught them everything they would need to know about the afterworld. Everything they would encounter, how to do things, what they could do, what they couldn't do. I remember the one scene where they went outside and that like worm monster got them. I still can't forget that to this day. Anyway, I was saying to myself, what if like Christians had a book like this? You know, like a handbook for the recently deceased that would help us to know what we're going to see and what we're going to encounter and what we can do. And then I was thinking how some preacher would be like, you know, you do. It's called the Bible, okay? And it, look, that's true. The Bible does tell us all this stuff, all right? So let's have a little bit of fun, can we please? So what I want to do for the remainder of the message today is to pretend like we have this book, a handbook for the recently deceased, something that we could look in 
that we can learn and look back on to understand what happens when you take your last breath. What can you experience? What can you look forward to? What are some things that you're going to be doing? So the first chapter, if you open it up and you take a look, it says, so you're dead. Okay, you're dead. Now, let's talk about death for a second, as Adam was referring to during the announcements. Um, I don't know about you if you're a person who thinks about death. Uh, I do, quite frequently, daily. Uh, as an only child, I don't know if any of you are only children in the room. As an only child, you are blessed with what I would call uh, crippling neuroses, okay? And one of mine is being a hypochondriac. My buddy Scott says, oh, you're not a hypochondriac. You are the hypochondriac. So whatever you guys have, you just let me know. I got it by noon, all right? Not a problem. So I'm somebody who's constantly thinking about how I'm going to go, how it's going to happen. And one of my favorite characters on TV, Al Swearingen from the show Deadwood, he says, look, no one's getting out of here alive. Every single one of us is going to go at some point in our life. So what is that going to be like? Well, the author of Hebrews says it like this. And, do, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. And he continues, he goes, So also Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. See, what he's talking about, he goes, every single person is going to die. And immediately after you die, you will face judgment. Now, theologians call it the judgment of faith. They're not exactly sure how it looks or how it happens, but it appears as though it happens in the blink of an eye. And in this moment, you will be judged and you will be filtered out by one question. Have you said yes to Jesus? That is the judgment of faith. If you've said yes, you move on to heaven. If you fail to say yes, if you've rejected Jesus, the, the scripture unfortunately is very clear. The only option is hell. Now, I, I wish that weren't the case. That is not something that I enjoy saying at all. It's something that I wish I could avoid saying. But by avoiding it, you demean the cross of Christ. Because Jesus, more than any other person in the whole Bible, talks about hell. I just want to spend just a minute talking about hell, and then I want to get back to heaven. I think for many of us, we picture hell as being something like, uh, like an ACDC song, right? Or like a Billy Joel song. Rather, you know, die with the sinners than live with the saints or whatever it was. It's this place we think, oh, we're going to go there. We're going to be with our buddies. We're going to take, you know, bong hits and chug beers, and it's going to be great. And it's one big party. Scripture is very clear. It is so far from that. And I don't need to get into the anguish and the torment and all that kind of a thing, but the picture it paints, which I believe is the most truly frightening part, is that we're going to be alone when you're there. You are by yourself, locked away for eternity. But if you said yes to Jesus, what you need to understand is that when you take that last breath, when your heart beats that last beat, you will be in the presence of God and Jesus immediately. In a blink of an eye, the scripture kind of talks about it. As soon as you close your eyes in the one world, you open up in the next world, and you are with Jesus and God and with your relatives who believed in him who passed before you. And it's amazing. How do I know this? How do I know that you will be there immediately? Because Jesus himself tells us. When he was on the cross, he was next to another robber, and a robber said to him, hey, Jesus, this guy was not a Christian at the time, he goes, remember me in heaven. That's all he said. 
he saw something that was different about Jesus. He goes, remember me in heaven. And Jesus says, truly I say to you, today, today, you will be with me in paradise. Not in 100 years, not in 1,000 years. Today, when you close your eyes, you will open them and you will be with me. That's a gift. Now, when we're talking about, let's call it judgment, we're talking about passing from this world to the next, one of the things that we have to spend a little bit of time talking on is purgatory. Now, some of us know about purgatory, other of us don't, so I just want to bring a little bit of clarification as to what this is. Now, many of us have been taught that this realm, purgatory, exists. And essentially what this talks about is that when you die as a Christian, you will die with sin in your life. And because you have sin in your life, you can't go right into heaven because God can't be with sin. And so what happens is that you go to a temporary holding place called purgatory. And in purgatory, whether it's for hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of years, you will stay there until you have worked off those sins. And once you've worked off those sins, then you can enter into the presence of God. Now, I want to be very clear when we talk about this. And I want to say this with all due respect. Purgatory does not exist in the Holy Bible. It is not spoken about. No New Testament author talks about it. Jesus never mentions it. This is not scriptural. I would go as far as to say that this goes against the teachings of Jesus Christ. Because when he died on that cross, the final words that he yelled out were, it is finished. In Greek, he basically said the debt is paid. Your sins have been forgiven, not by anything you could do or will do, but based on what I have done on this cross. And because of this, like he said to the thief, today you will be with me in heaven. When Jesus died on that cross, you can have the confidence to know that you will be in the presence of God immediately. Second of all, I want to talk about babies and children. Now, this is a sensitive topic because some of us have lost children too soon. Some of us have lost babies, even during pregnancy, and it's awful. It's awful. Now, as Christians, we try to work our, our minds around this, and we say, well, if you can only get into heaven by saying yes to Jesus, how is a child or how is a baby who can't even understand these things or, or speak these words, what's going to happen to them? Will they go to heaven? Will I see them again? Now, the first thing you have to understand is that the Scripture does not speak directly to this issue. But we do know a couple of things. We do know that Jesus and God have a very special place in their heart for children and for babies. We see that over and over again. And I want to give you two pieces of Scripture direct from Jesus' mouth that I believe speaks to what happens to babies and children. First, Jesus says this. Be sure you do not hate one of these little children. I tell you, they have angels who are always looking into the face of my Father in heaven. What we learn from this, Jesus is saying, you have to understand that children and babies have what we would call guardian angels. This is what Jesus is saying. And theologians look at this and go, well, clearly children and infants have some special treatment, that they are getting this angel that perhaps adults don't have. 
they're getting this angel. So if they're getting special treatment, what other special privileges might they enjoy, particularly when it comes to salvation? Jesus also says this, and he's talking to a group of religious leaders at the time. He goes, yes, but have you never read from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise? Think about what this says for a second. Jesus is saying, forget about children. Jesus is saying from the lips of infants, God is calling forth, ordaining, praise that in some way, in some fashion, your little babies, as you hold them, are praising God in heaven. That tells me that God will welcome any child, any baby who passes from this world too soon. That you can have the confidence to know that if this was your circumstance, that you will see that child again, that he or she was welcomed into the arms of our Savior. So what does happen when we finally get into heaven? That's chapter 2. Welcome to heaven 1.0. You're probably saying, heaven 1.0? What is that? I'm going to get to that in a second. When you open up your eyes and you are in heaven 1.0 for the very first time, like I said, you will see God, you will see Jesus, you will be surrounded by angels, and you will see your relatives who went before you who were Christians. And it's going to be amazing, and it's going to be beautiful, and I can't even paint a picture truly of what it's going to be like. But what's very important to never lose sight of, and this is something that perhaps none of you might even know, is that when we die, we will not go to the heaven where we'll live forever. You might hear this and go, wait, 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 wait. What? Huh? Yes, because so many of us have built this theology that when we die, we, you know, float up to heaven and we're up there with God and that's where we're going to be forever and we have some kind of spirit body looking thing or whatever and that's where we're going to be forever. Part of that is true. Part of that is incorrect. So we don't get a huge picture of what heaven 1.0 is. Some theologians call it temporary heaven. Some people call it the present heaven. I like heaven 1.0 because it kind of speaks to our generation. But here's what you need to understand about heaven 1.0. It is the absence of earth's negatives. When you take your first breath in the new world, your first breath in the next heaven, you need to understand that you are free of the curse of this world. The curse that every single one of us has been living under. No more pain, no sorrow. All of your longings are now fulfilled, and it's wonderful. And I can't even articulate how good it will be. But regardless of how good it is, as amazing as it's going to be to see Jesus and to, and to be in the presence of God, you cannot forget that this heaven is not our home. Scripture is clear. This heaven that if we die today where we're going, Scripture is clear. This is not where God destined us to spend all eternity. What you need to understand is that God's plan was never for man to live in his realm, to go up to heaven and to stay there for all time, but for him, meaning God, to live with us in our realm. That was his plan. This is the heaven that he is speaking about, the place that will be forever. And I want to spend the rest of the day talking about the eternal heaven. But before we can get to the eternal heaven, a couple of things happen. A couple of events must take place that we just don't have the time to go over today. But I want to just skip the chapters, show you them, so you're at least in your head, on your radar. The first thing that happens is chapter 3, and it's the rapture. 
And we don't have time to talk about this today, but Jesus is clear that at some point in the future, and some people think it's imminently close. I don't know. But at some point in the future, Jesus is clear. He will take every single living Christian on this world out of this earth and bring them up to heaven. In your body, as it is. That sounds pretty crazy, but that's what he says. Why does he do this? Apparently some events are going to be taking place that he doesn't want us to have to witness. It's going to be bad, and he wants to save us from having to witness that. Chapter 4 is Jesus' second coming. He promises that he will come back again. And when Jesus comes back to this earth again, he will not be like the guy that we read about in the New Testament. He's not going to be this sort of demure guy who keeps his mouth shut, who, who gets whipped. The scripture is clear that when Jesus comes back, he is kicking butts and taking names. It's go time when he comes back the next time because chapter 5, Satan will be defeated forever. When Jesus comes back, he is going head to head in an all-out war with Satan. And you go and read in the scriptures, it's wild, that battle it talks about. But Jesus will defeat Satan forever. And scripture says that he casts Satan into the lake of fire, destroying him for all time. And once these events happen, and who knows when or how long it's all going to take, once these things take place, then the final heaven is ushered in. The final chapter. I'll call it heaven 2.0. The new heaven. The new earth, as scripture calls it. And what you need to understand is that when Jesus speaks of heaven, by and large, he is talking about heaven on this earth. This is what he's referring to. Now, John, who's the author of Revelation, when he writes Revelation, you have to understand that he has been given a vision into the future. So John talks about this occurrence, and here's how he paints the picture. He goes, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. So they're gone. We don't know if that means they were completely destroyed or, or what happened. He goes, but they passed away is how he described it. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. What is that? We learn in the scriptures that in heaven right now is a holy city, the new Jerusalem. It is the capital city of heaven. It is a real physical place that is up there somewhere. I don't know where it is. And John says, it was coming down out of heaven from God. He's witnessing heaven 1.0, joining this earth. Heaven and earth have finally been joined. And he says, then I heard a loud voice coming from heaven. And it said, see, God's home is with men. He will live with them. And they will be his people. God himself will be with them. And he will be their God. See, for so long, I think we think we're going to die, we're going to go in heaven, we're going to have these little weird angel bodies, and that's we're going to be forever. But the scripture is clear. The actual eternal heaven that all Christians go to will be on this earth. The best way you can think about it is that we will be living on a resurrected earth, inhabited by resurrected people, living with resurrected Jesus. If you want to picture what earth is going to look like, all you got to do is look around and picture it better. That's it. Because God's plan from the very beginning was to redeem and restore Eden. 
Think back to the Garden of Eden. That's what he wanted all along. A perfect place, a perfect world with no sin and no death where man and woman would live forever and they could live with God in perfect harmony. But we screwed it up and Satan got in the way. But what's so important to understand is that God never threw in the towel on his original plan. He never threw in the towel. Even though Satan screwed this world up, even though we're doing our best to make it bad, God never said, forget it, let's move on, let's, when you die, I'll bring you up to my realm and we'll stay there forever. No, no, no. He wanted to redeem it. He says, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. And this next verse, if you've heard nothing today, hear this as he describes what the eternal heaven will be like. He says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And can we even imagine this? Let that sink in and eternalize what it would be like to live on a perfect earth, an earth that we would recognize, an earth that we would call home, where we will be with the people we know and love, we will be in God's presence, and Jesus will be there. It's incredible. So at the back of the book, there's a frequently asked question section. And I think for many Christians, we have just some questions that we're wondering about when it comes to heaven. And what I want to do is I want to wrap up today just trying to answer just a couple of these questions because there's so much we could talk about when it comes to heaven. Randy Alcorn, a pastor, wrote a book about heaven. Much of what I've learned for today is from that book. It's like 600 pages. There's a lot to be known about heaven. I just want to give you a couple of things. One of the major questions that people have, and it's a good one, is will we have bodies in heaven? Are we going to have bodies when we get there? Brief answer, yes. Yes. You will have what Scripture calls a resurrection body. The best way to think about this is think about when Jesus returned from the grave, he was in his body, his disciples saw him and touched him, and he was able to eat, and he had flesh, and he had bones. Paul talks about it like this in Corinthians. He goes, it is the same way with the resurrection of the dead, speaking of heaven. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. So this week, actually every week, I run these messages with Christina Florio, uh, Cooper, pardon me, um, our worship leader here, just to make sure it makes sense, I haven't missed anything. And as I kind of read this verse, she goes, hey, stop, 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 stop. She goes, did you ever notice, and I'm waiting for just some wisdom to come out of her mouth. She goes, did you ever notice how weird you pronounce the word buried? I go, what do you mean? She goes, it's buried. I go, really? That's my New Jersey accent coming through. You know, I escaped New Jersey without much of an accent. As an Italian, you're lucky you can understand me at all. I could be like, oh, I could do it. My name's Jan from New Jersey. Anyway, all right. So I say, okay, let's have a cup of cough, okay? I have a sandwich, all right? But I say buried. Get over it, okay? It goes on. They are buried. Buried? They are buried in weakness. But they will be raised in strength. They are buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. 
For just as there are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. Now I have ADD thinking about saying the word buried. I also say forehead, and we live in Florida, and we drink orange juice. Anyway, here's the deal. When you have your resurrection body, you need to understand that it will be perfect. Any ailments you suffer with on this earth are gone in the ones to come. Any handicaps we may have in this world, they are gone in the world to come. Someone said, are we going to have a six-pack abs? I don't know. But you can work out in heaven, so you've got a lot of time to work on it, all right? You will have a body when you get there. The next big question is this. Will we be ourselves in heaven? Will I be John when I get there? Will you recognize me? Will we be ourselves? Yes. You will be yourself when you get to heaven. That's unfortunate for some of you, okay? I've got to deal with you already. Now it's like the rest of eternity, fine. But when you get there, you will be a better version of who you are. I know this because Jesus speaks about it. After he was raised from the grave, he goes, look at my hands and my feet. It is I, myself. I'm the same guy. The same guy you knew. It's me now. Nothing has changed. We are the same once we die. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Again, talking about the fact that when we are in our resurrection bodies, when we're in the new heaven and the new earth, we will have actual flesh and bones. The difference is we'll actually like what we're looking at in the new world. We'll be happy. We'll have self-confidence. Okay, you're going to enjoy the way that you look. Now, here's another big question people have for me. Will we be married in heaven? Will we be married? No. You will not be married in heaven. Now, this week as I was researching this, it was Tuesday, and I was at dinner with my wife, and I said to her, hey, Listen, I got to talk to you. Um, it was in the Bible, and there, you're laughing. There's this section that I just need to kind of clue you in on, on something that's going to be coming. I said, We are uh, not going to be married when we're in heaven. And she goes, Just like this. And I'm nodding because she goes, Just like this. And eats her salad. <laughs> it was actually less than that, it was almost like this. Fine. Okay, maybe for some of you that's good news. Okay, look, here's the deal. Some of us are married and we have great relationships. Some of us are married and we don't have great relationships. But whatever the case may be, we will not be married in heaven. Jesus speaks about this directly because there were some spiritual leaders who were trying to get him in trouble, who were trying to trip him up, and they go, hey, what about the people who have been divorced, you know, five times and remarried five times? Who are they going to be married to in heaven? Can you answer me that one, Jesus? Think you're so smart? He goes, okay, tough guys. He goes, for when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. In this respect, they will be like the angels in heaven. The angels are not married. He goes, when you guys get there, neither are you. And that's, if I'm being honest with you, that's a little, uh, that's a tough pill to swallow. Because we love our spouses, some of us, okay? We love our spouses. And, and, and to think about the fact that for all of eternity, you're not going to be married to them? But scripture is clear that the purpose of marriage is not to replace heaven. It's actually to prepare us for it. Over and over and over again, we see that marriage is just but a picture of what's to come, a shadow of the true marriage, because scripture says that when we die, we will become the bride of Christ. And that's kind of an unusual concept to understand, this idea that you're going to be married to Jesus, but that's what it says. 
And that marriage that we will have with Jesus will be so wonderful and so fulfilling that even the best marriages on this earth will pale in comparison. But our relationships do stay the same, and I believe that even though we will not be technically married to our spouse, we will have even a deeper relationship when we get to them on the other side. So this next one, um, I actually think is a vital question to answer. And I think in terms of all the questions that we ask, this is really the one that we need to nail down. And it's this. Will our pets be with us in heaven? Because, listen, I love my wife, but is Saxon, my dog, going to be there? Because if he's not, where's he going? That's where I want to go. Now, this is a serious question. Because I don't know about you, but I love my animals. I, I truly love my dog. And I honestly believe that he is a gift from God. He's a blessing in my life. When I lost my previous dog, I was very sad. I mean, as you know, it's, we love our pets. They are a gift from God. So will they be with us in the new heavens and the new earth? Scripture actually talks about this. Let's take a look at what it says. This is Jesus talking in Revelations. And he goes, Behold, I am making all things new. What does all mean? All means all. All means everything. Everything in this world, Jesus is making new again. Paul speaks at greater length in, in Romans. He says, against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. All creation. Trees, the ocean, storms, the dirt, your animals, the birds, the bees, everything in this world against its will was subjected to the curse of Adam. Our fault, our sin impacted everything. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. I mean, think about that. He's telling us that the earth itself has hope that your animals and your pets and the trees and everything in this world is eagerly awaiting the new heavens and the new earth. So I have 100% confidence that our pets will be there with us in heaven. I don't know about cats. Dogs are going to be there for sure, okay? Cats, the jury is still out. Theologians are still debating that. Dogs are for sure. But listen, why wouldn't they be there? Is this really out of God's character? If he can make heaven any better for you, don't you think he would? The last question is this. What will we do when we get there? Because this is the one that really trips us up. This is the one that we think, oh gosh, eternity, singing songs, strumming the old harp, sounds brutal. But what will we actually do there? Scripture paints a picture that when we get to heaven 2.0, we will be able to do everything and anything. We will have a job, one you like. You can travel. You can create. You can explore. And it paints a picture that you will be learning and learning forever and learning at the feet of God himself. You know, we live in a culture that says YOLO, you only live once. This idea that, listen, while you're alive, you got to do it all, because when you die, it's over, you lost your chance. you got to have a bucket list, and you check these things off. Many of you probably have a bucket list. One theologian was talking about this idea that we're going to be living on earth, and it's going to be perfect, and it's going to be forever. And he says, really? 
The truth is, there's no need for a bucket list. Because these things that you didn't have the chance to do now, you will have eternity to do them and more. And it will be endlessly exciting. You don't need to do YOLO. I was pumped for this because I was like, you know what? I'm just going to sit on the couch and watch Netflix then. I'll do it all when I get there. Okay? My wife is like, you don't do enough. Fine. This is scriptural. Me not doing enough is scriptural. I like that. Look, I was a little hesitant to talk about heaven today because it is such a magnificent place that I was afraid that I couldn't do it justice. This, like being able to paint a picture of how glorious and amazing it is, I was, I was saying, you, you can't do that. But the scriptures invite us to imagine what it would be like. And God gave you that imagination. And I think he specifically gave you that imagination to picture the world to come. So what's the practical? What do you do with a message like this? So I think for many of us, if you're like I was this week, you probably now have a different picture of what heaven was like. If I'm being honest with you, before doing the research for this message, I was probably in the group that heaven was going to be a little boring. And I was a little confused in the fact that the heaven we go to now is not the place that God destined for us forever. But the thing that you need to understand, and the most important thing that you will hear today, that when we get finally to the new earth, to the new heaven, that there will be no more tears. See, for some of us, we've led a pretty easy life. But others of us have had a pretty tough go at it. And we know what it's like to face death and despair and sadness. And we can have the promise of God to know that through his son Jesus, these tears have been wiped away. That one day we will be on this earth, a perfect version of this earth with Jesus and God and our loved ones, and we will have perfect joy in a way that we can't even imagine it. No sadness and no tears, and we'll be ourselves. But the tough side of this is that none of this is available unless you say yes to Jesus. Last week we talked about one of the most controversial things that Jesus said was that he is the only way to God. That's something our culture doesn't like to hear. But he said it, and I believe it. And the only way that we are going to live a life of eternity with him in this wonderful place called the new heavens and the new earth where finally there is no tears, finally there's no sadness, finally we have joy in a way that we can't even picture. The only way to have that is to say yes to him. For some of you, you've been Christians for a very long time. Others of you, I feel like perhaps you're, you're just at the cusp, just at this place where you're just trying to figure it all out. I would challenge you. Say yes. Say yes to Jesus. You don't need to understand it all. All you need to understand is that he is who he claims to be. And because of you, because of that death on that cross, your debt has been paid. And if you close your eyes today, you will open them up in his presence. The Bible is clear. The best is yet to come. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the picture that you've given us of heaven. 
it's hard for even our human minds to imagine how wonderful and glorious it will be. But I am just so grateful that you are always thinking of us. Lord, that you even made it a way so that when we spend eternity, we would spend it in a world that we recognize. That we could look around and say, yes, this is what I know, but it's so much better. Thank you, Lord, that you prepared a place for us that we could spend it with our loved ones for eternity, that we could be with you in perfect harmony, in perfect bodies, without tears, without sadness, and with perfect joy. I thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus, the sacrifice on that cross, to know, Lord, that should we say yes to him, that we can have the utmost confidence that we will be with you forever. I place all these requests in Jesus' name.